Hello and welcome to Women's Magazine. This is Global Val here, MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco's Mission District. Thanks for tuning in this fine, fine Friday. It is March 23rd, 2018. Spring has sprung. The grass is riz. I wonder where the flowers is. That's not an original, but I forget who said it. Sorry. Anyhow, uh, the actually, blue skies do abound. A little puffy white clouds, uh, a little bit past the rain that, that we're very grateful to have gotten this past week. But here we are in California, still looking at a season of drought. But thankfully, the Sierra's got you know many, many feet of snow over the past few weeks, and that helps to you know restore and our our water supplies. And as we know, water is life. Thank you for tuning in today. I have a guest coming in at two thirty, so stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss it because today I am interviewing the president of the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco. London Breed. She is a front runner for mayor, if I may say so. Um, she served as acting mayor um, in, after the untimely, unexpected death of our previous mayor, Ed Lee, um, back in December. She was replaced uh, by a caretaker mayor who uh, is not eligible to run in the June election, but I'm really excited to have London Breed come in here today. She grew up here in San Francisco. She grew up in public housing. She was raised by her grandmother. Um, She has been a community servant for her entire career, Um, and I've been going to a lot of the mayoral candidate forums, and, you know, it's great to have you know, all of the candidates or the majority of the candidates all together in order, you know, to answer questions and occasionally ask each other questions, but they don't really get a whole lot of time to really talk policy. Um, there's a lot of questions, very complex questions that have been submitted ahead of time uh, or by the audience. And then the moderator says, okay, everybody, you have two minutes to answer that question. Um, so what I'm doing here on uh, at Mutiny Radio on Women's Magazine with Global Val and occasionally uh, continuing on to the Common Thread Collective, which happens after this show. Uh, it's Global Val's election season coverage. So I'm really happy that a lot of the candidates have agreed to come in. Um, I interviewed Angela Alioto, who is also running for mayor. This is our third run for mayor. She came in on March 9th. So that podcast is available. And also we interviewed Amy Farrah Weiss on the Common Thread Collective on February 23rd. So that podcast is available, both of them on Mutiny radio.fm. Um, and, and we're also on iTunes now. Um, we have a, a little podcast angel at the station who put our show onto iTunes, um, oddly enough. So it's under the free podcast section, but uh, it is a little interesting because there's so many comedy shows at Mutiny Radio that we kind of got put into the comedy section. I don't know if anything that I say is very funny, but occasionally, um, but that's where you'll find it if you're looking on iTunes or you're, you're trying to tell them kids how to find this stuff. Anyhow, it is great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to London Breed uh, later today. And for now, I'm going to play a little music for you and be right back. Here's some music from Emma's Revolution. Peaceful now and forevermore. Peaceful at the surface. And peaceful at the core All the joy within my heart Would be so free to soar And we're living on a living planet Circling a living star 
I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going far. We can change the universe by being who we are, and we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. And if all the world knew justice now and forevermore, justice at the surface and justice at the core, all the joy within my heart would be so free to soar. And we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going far. We can change the universe by being who we are, and we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. And if all the world knew freedom now and forevermore, freedom at the surface and freedom at the core, all the joy within my heart would be so free to soar and we're living on a living planet circling a living star i don't know where we're going but i know we're going far we can change the universe by being who we are and we're living on a living planet. We are indeed living on a living planet. And let's not forget it. We've seen a lot of uh, actions being filed and and taken by the Environmental Protection Agency in this past uh, couple of weeks, um, who, um, you know, now now that it's led by a climate change denier, Scott Pruitt, who sued the EPA a number of times in Oklahoma before he became the head of the EPA, um, they would like to uh, re- um, go do away with uh, some of the rules that would make it that would require uh, mining companies to have uh, enough uh, money on hand in case of a spill Um, so there's a lot of shady dealings going on that are not uh, acting on behalf of all of our living brothers sisters and so on on this living planet so you know tune in and and uh keep paying attention and keep talking about these things. Um, Here's something to talk about. This is Women's Magazine. And this week in California, uh, it was announced that California will have its first um, female leader of the California State Senate. Um, She is also uh, part of the LGBT community. So um, 
Tony Atkins will make history Wednesday when she becomes the first woman and first lesbian to hold the California Senate's top job. A former assembly speaker, Atkins is taking over the post of Senate President Pro Tem from fellow Democrat Kevin DeLeon as the chamber gears up for election season and faces a number of thorny challenges, including a reckoning over sexual misconduct, a loss of Democratic supermajority, and an icy relationship with the state assembly. I'm I'm reading this out of the uh, Mercury Mercury News. Um, So... You know, women are coming up in in politics uh, right here in San Francisco. The mayor's race is comprised mostly of uh, female candidates, um, and uh, it's a, it's a really interesting time. Twenty eighteen. I I think about the day that I went out to Civic Center back on the w- Women's March which this year was March, um, sorry, January 21st. Uh, It was the second annual Women's March. And there were so many amazing and inspiring speakers that day talking about how um, people across the country are organizing to stand up to the, you know, the political machine that currently operates and uh, likes to take a lot of money from uh, special interests um, and work against you know, everyday people who who can't afford to, uh, you know, throw thousands and millions of dollars at them. Um, and, and the fact that people are now stepping up, a lot of women are stepping up and stepping forward. And I loved how the theme of this year's Women's March was, because it was the second annual, first we marched, now we run. So I'm really excited to have London Breed come in here. She'll be here in a little bit, about 15 minutes or so, as we... Uh, explore some of the important issues in San Francisco, especially during this election season, such as housing, affordability, homelessness, public safety, uh, clean streets, and transportation. So thanks for tuning in. And um, yeah, we'll be right back and play a little more music for you.
passion and desire Has anybody seen the choir? Has anybody seen the choir? I want to preach to the converted I want to see them rising up Don't want to see one gate subverted Don't want to have to prove a point Just want to know they're on my
Thanks for tuning in to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm, and it is Friday. As I'm here every Friday. Uh, it's great to be here, and uh, happy to have you tuning in. So um, it is springtime. We just... We just passed the uh, the spring equinox, so the the seasons are changing. Um, Easter is around the corner, and it's always a good time to remember that um, a lot of the modern holidays, uh, Christian holidays, um, really kind of uh, piggybacked onto ancient holidays, uh, the, the rites of spring, the celebration of goddesses, of fertility, of life, um, hence the, the eggs and the little bunnies of springtime, you know, you know, that has no direct correlation with the, with the Jesus story. Um, but yet it's all kind of conflated, um, into, into one big, um, chocolate filled holiday. And, um, it's a great time of year to celebrate life. Um, as we see the, the rains come and go and the new, uh, plants come up, the flowers. And I want to remind everybody that it is a great time to plant your spring garden. Um, here in San Francisco, at least in the Bay area, we have a great climate. You can grow all sorts of, uh, organic fruits and vegetables in your own backyard. If you don't have a backyard, I like to remind folks that you can have a garden in a space, the size of your TV, um, get a planter box or maybe, uh, coordinate with a few different neighbors where everybody gets a planter box. Put some seeds in the ground, uh, get some organic soil going on and, um, you know, plant some chard, um, some, uh, some kale, some lettuce. You could, you can go carrots out here. Um, tomatoes, if you do them right, if they get enough sun, um, there's all sorts of great things that you can do in order to, um, grow fresh, healthy food to make available for yourselves, your family, your friends and neighbors. Um, tis the season. So get out there and grow. Um, I want to read a poem uh, called Calendar um, because of kind of what I was talking about before, how a lot of really ancient celebrations and ceremonies and rites um, were kind of, uh, you know, kind of mm, absorbed and uh, rebranded. So here, here's some food for thought. It's called Calendar. <clears throat> They've tried to redefine time by putting it in a straight line and calling it clockwise. Digits in sequence winding and waiting down the red line, conveniently painted on the pavement. It's an order of artifice, carrying an air of correctness until it becomes questionless. When in fact it has supplanted actuality. A thousand suns could tell us which way to look for morning, but the subtle and unsettling oversight is the course of the moon running what would be called counter. But clearly it is the marker, orbit and watcher, seamstress and friend, putting the pattern before us. I'm Golval. I really am happy you're tuning in to Women's Magazine today here at MutinyRadio.fm. Coming back after this next song, we're going to have President of the Board of Supervisors, London Breed, who is running for mayor, and she's in here today to talk about some of her policy ideas and also about being a San Franciscan and what that means for her and what it means in her role as President of the Board and potentially as her role 
of, as mayor. We shall see. June election is June 5th. And uh, don't forget to get out there and register to vote. Uh, you got to do that, folks, or update your voter registration. You can go to registertovote.ca.gov. You can do it online. So simple. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. children and saw my own face I saw myself dying all over the place I saw myself hiding and shaking with fear desperately wondering how I got here from the seat on my bus to my mother's front door to my shock I had come home right into a war so many years and we're back here again was it So many years and we're back here.
chill in the air and a blanket of gray then a shadow down eclipses the day all it takes is a word and a faint little spark be true to yourself step in
folks. Hope you're not taking an afternoon nap with all that kind of uh, sweet music that was playing. That was Emma's Revolution. Um, but we're about to, you know, get get some more energy going this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Women's Magazine here on Global Val at MutinyRadio.fm. And I'm really happy to have um, Ms. London Breed in the studio today. Um, London Breed is the president of the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco, a position to which she has been twice elected by her fellow supervisors. She represents District 5 and has since 2012. Uh, District 5 also is where she grew up here in San Francisco in the Western Edition. Of course, it's also a big chunk in the middle of the city uh, that includes the Fillmore, the Haight-Ashbury, Lower Haight, Coal Valley, Alamo Square, the Panhandle, Japantown, and parts of the Inner Sunset. Before she served on the Board of Supervisors, she was the Executive Director of the African American Art and Culture Complex for, I believe, about 10 years, and also uh, served on the San Francisco Redevelopment Agency and the Fire Commission. And she grew up here in San Francisco, went to public school, got her undergraduate at UC Davis and her master's at USF. Uh, She most recently served as acting mayor for several weeks after the unexpected death of Mayor Ed Lee until a caretaker mayor was selected to hold the office until the June election. So it is an honor and a a treat to welcome to Mutiny Radio. Welcome back to Mutiny Radio, London Breed. Thanks, Val, for having me today. Absolutely. It's always it's always great. Thank you for coming in today. It's always nice to have an in-person interview, um, but I'm glad that we've gotten a chance to to talk a a couple a couple times along the way in your political career. Um, So now as running you're running for mayor um you're the president of the board of supervisors so i want to start with kind of a a rather open question and say why you why now i think why me why now is because first of all i'm a native to san francisco i've been here my whole life and i've seen the city go through so many different changes i've seen the good the bad and the ugly and part of what we need to do in San Francisco is move forward in a positive direction that's inclusive of every San Franciscan. San Francisco needs bold, creative, solutions-driven leadership to move our city forward and address these most challenging issues. And as someone who is fearless, as someone who focuses on trying to find creative ways to address our most pressing problems, which I have done as a member of the community, as a member of the Board of Supervisors, I know that I have what it takes to do this job. I know that my vision for San Francisco to make it a better place, to make it a more inclusive place, is what's going to move us in the right direction. So why me? Why now? because I know that I'm the best person to do this job, and I have demonstrated that even in the short time that I served as acting mayor. Well, I know that you have been acting uh, on behalf of San Francisco, and the fact that you are from here, grew up here, and have such a comprehensive understanding of this city um, is uh, reassuring. I think for a lot of people. Um, So let's, there's a lot of major issues in this election season. What would be your priorities as well? Let's talk about the, well, the issues in this election season really have to come up housing, homelessness, public safety, transit, clean streets. So as mayor, what would be your priorities when you, uh, you know, get into room 200 out there at city hall? And I will tell you, you know, exactly what you just said. The top issues in San Francisco clearly are housing, homelessness, public safety, and yes, infrastructure and transit and quality of life. But we have to do a better job here in San Francisco of creating housing. Since 2010, 
for every eight jobs we've created. We only created one new unit of housing. And so in thinking about what we need to do as a city to make our city better for everyone and be more all-inclusive, it will require creativity to build not just more housing, but more housing for low-income residents, for moderate-income residents, for middle-income residents, because as a native who grew up here, who actually grew up in public housing and had no real housing ladder opportunity, it was really frustrating to watch my friends leave San Francisco, to watch the city change and not feel that we had even an opportunity to be a part of the city. And so my goal as president, I mean, as a mayor is to make sure that I make housing a priority, a housing for all San Franciscans, building more and building more faster, especially 100% affordable housing that's completely code compliant. We got to make sure that we include those who we know are getting left out. We talk about more housing for teachers, but teachers they don't, they make too much to qualify for affordable housing and not enough to afford market rate. And so changing that conversation through our inclusionary housing laws, making sure that we come up with long-term strategic plans of building more, identifying underutilized sites like I did with the location at Haight and Stanion, the McDonald's site, they sold the city that property for below market rate because I asked. And so we have other opportunities just like that to identify locations, to build more housing faster, to build modular housing, which you can build cheaper and less expensive and identifying a site here to make sure we're building those modular homes locally with our local labor. And here's the thing, I put out a detailed housing platform. You can find it on my website, londonformayor.com, just talking about the work that I've done as a member of the Board of Supervisors, the work that I plan to do as your mayor, and my goal is to work together with everyone to come up with a long-term solution so that we identify where the needs are and we start to build more housing for those different layers of need. A housing ladder is gonna be key to the success of my administration. As, I mean, I know you talked about a couple of other issues, but I'll let you chime in to uh, no, I, <laughs> move, I, move the conversation I, forward. Yeah, I, I, I am here to to let our listeners, you know, get get more of the the, the policy and the ideas that they may not get out of a, a forum where yes. you only get two minutes to answer a question um, uh, with the other candidates uh, there at the same time. So, um, you know, by all means, um, that's what we're here for. So I appreciate you uh, talking about what your what your plans are, what your visions are. Um, Give a little bit of the because um, you we're talking about the the um, the uh, property that's that's going to be developed at Hayton Stanion that just kind of came up as one creative solution, but maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that you have done prior to this because I know that that's that's a work in progress yes. right now. And and so there's a couple of things that I've done on the board of supervisors. You know, we were building and planning to build, you know, a lot of housing in Mission Bay. When I was on the Redevelopment Agency Commission, I helped to support and approve many of those projects in Mission Bay and the Hunters Point Shipyard. And the frustration, especially coming from members of the Bayview community, is what they saw happen in the Western Edition, where so many people were displaced. And the lottery system would, makes it so difficult for people who live in the community, like myself and my friends, you grow up and then you're like, where do I go? What's the next step? I created neighborhood preference legislation. So when we build new affordable housing, 40% of those units go to the people who live in that neighborhood first. So when they're competing in a lottery, 40% is set aside just for the neighborhood to compete so that we can protect 
the neighborhood. We protect the people who live in those neighborhoods. And so HUD, who, you know, Housing and Urban Development, the, the federal agency that supports a lot of affordable housing, they initially said, no, you can't use that legislation when it comes to projects that we support, that we subsidize. And so when they said no, I took a red-eye flight to D.C. and I fought for that legislation. And they said, well, maybe. We'll let you use it this time. We'll see how it works. Because here's the thing. I went to them and I explained what my experience was growing up and watching my neighborhood change right before my eyes and, and seeing their and seeing is and no opportunities for the people who live there. It's why I fought so hard for neighborhood preference legislation. And so as a result of my work, you know, here's this opportunity. So as new housing gets built, as you see what's happening, even in the mission district and all this new housing with sadly no opportunity of the people who live here, who are being pushed out, having access to it. My neighborhood preference legislation has changed that for neighborhoods for the better. And I'm really proud of making sure that there's a real link between the housing we build and the people who live in those communities and make those communities so special. The other legislation that I worked on is the inclusionary affordable housing laws with my colleagues to change the affordable housing requirements. So as I said, teachers didn't necessarily qualify for affordable housing, but couldn't afford market rate. We increased the threshold. So for example, a family of four making $135,000 a year could now qualify for affordable housing. So changing the conversation so that middle income residents in our city actually have a real shot at accessing affordable housing here in San Francisco. Um, so there are a number of other um, things that we can continue to do to move forward in the right direction, identifying underutilized properties, um, doing what I did with my neighborhood commercial transit district legislation. It increased densities along transit corridors in my district, specifically the Fillmore and the Divisadero. To be clear, it did not increase height, it increased density so that more units could be built on the same footprint. Um, in, in the Divisadero and particularly a site at Grove and Divisadero, they had proposed a a building of 16 units and under the law they would only be required to provide 12% of those units for affordable housing well now there's a change and through my legislation so now they're going to build about 66 units and those units are going to be smaller they're going to be more affordable um, and then we are right now as we speak changing to increase the percentage of affordable units that are required under the law so we're going to have more units more affordable units and these are all going to be rentals and so coming up with creative solutions to provide more housing to provide more options for affordable housing for all san franciscans is a priority that i have made as a member the Board of Supervisors that I will make as a the mayor of the city. So in in terms of having the the transit corridors um, and and the fact that it that it can be all rentals is is really um, I think it's it's definitely showing that the the uh, the understanding of so, most of the people in San Francisco as as renters you know of course you have homeowners but you know uh, there's so many people rent. Um, I'm a uh, renter myself. I know you. That's right. That's right. I, I yeah, and that and that alone says a lot. I think to have someone who rents be in city hall because it's 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 a different ball game when you're when you're when you know how it works out. You know you know what it's like. Um, and and with our like you're saying with our teachers kind of falling in into in the cracks. Um, so the inclusionary thing. I think a lot of the teachers and and other civ you know public servants like the police and fire 
fire department and and you know other city workers who kind of like can't can't buy a, a the two bus million drivers, dollar house especially yeah, a lot of the bus, bus drivers. drivers are from San Francisco and I'm really proud that as a member of the board of supervisors I not only sponsored the legislation to purchase 200 new buses to replace our fleet but also we hired 400 new drivers we banned the box so a lot of the folks that I grew up with who unfortunately had a criminal past they paid their debt to society and needed employment they're working for Muni I see them all the time and I'm so proud of that kind of work but they still can't afford to live in San Francisco so again we have to make changes to our law so that they actually work for people, especially the people who take care of our city. Yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to bus drivers. I'm, I'm a lifelong Muni writer and, um, you know, for better or for worse, but I, I give the drivers a lot of credit because they put up with so much. They really do. And we just, again, <laughs> we got to do better as a city to I, support them. Absolutely. As we speak about transit, because um, I know that you, as you were saying, you got more bus drivers and we're uh, at the head of replacing a lot of our old buses and trains. Um, of course, though, there's always still daily problems with Muni, you know, delays, broken doors, um, people getting dropped off before the end of the line. So when can we, and I've seen some of these new cars kind of, you know, getting, getting come, you know, coming out and getting tested, um, but they're not taking passengers yet. So um, when can we as riders um, expect to see those trains uh, come into service? And, and I, they should be within, you know, the next few months. I mean, they're test, they're being tested. Some are already running. And let me just say that when I first became a member of the Board of Supervisors, the one thing that residents in Cole Valley asked for, fix the injuda, fix the injuda. And I didn't understand why was there such a problem? You see all these people out here, folks can't get to school, they can't get to work on time. What is going on? And what I discovered with our trains, the fleet was so old, they would have to be taken out of service every 4,000 miles. We didn't have enough muni drivers. And when people would call in sick, I mean, the system was just completely messed up. And so a part of my push as a member of the board is we need more trains. We need more buses. We need more drivers. Like, what are we doing here in terms of infrastructure? Like, what is our long-term strategic plan? So I feel strongly that with my legislation, my push, a lot of what we need began to take place, began to move forward through the process. And sadly, it takes years to build a new train. It takes years to build a new bus. It also takes time to get through the process. And so finally, the new train are starting to arrive. People have been trained and are prepared to begin driving those new trains. In the meantime, uh, I created a shuttle system at the Anjuna where it kind of there's a switchback so that there are four empty cars that go to that location before they come to Carl and Cole. Um, and then they're able to take passengers to work in the morning. It doesn't necessarily work as efficiently in the evening because there are so many riders. And so I know that we can get creative, but we need the new trains and we need the new buses. And I think within the next year, people will probably start to feel the difference. Um, it will probably be more noticeable. Um, the good news is it's on its way and I'm looking forward to, um, you know, improvements. And as someone who grew up taking Muni, I take it sporadically now, but I got to tell you, I, you know, it's challenging, but 
like in comparison, you remember what it used to be like when we were kids, yeah. like the bus driver, they'd see us running for the bus and still take yeah. off. They'd look, look you right in the eye and just drive and away. And you have to wait like forever for the next bus. And yeah. now, you know. And then two would two come like one behind the next one, yeah. which still kind of happens sometimes. It still kind of happens, but you know, some of my experience has shown just, you know, improvement and, you know, just the fact that you can also use technology to figure out when the next bus is coming and those yeah. sorts of things. I mean, you know, we just had to guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There were no signs up there that were flashing any numbers, whether or not they were. And then when they started doing that, you're, you never really knew if that was accurate. Um, but yeah, so there have been improvements and, um, I'm cert- I personally am looking forward to more. Yes, um, there has to be. If we're talking about a city that is building more housing and right. we want people to rely on public transportation. And so we have to make it more efficient. Like people have, have got to feel like the bus is going to be, or the trains are going to be something they can easily get around in the city. If it's working better then that is going to be the number one choice that people make because it's less expensive than hopping in a cab or Uber or anything else or hopping in their own vehicles. And so my goal is to focus on making sure that the infrastructure and how we move forward with transportation in San Francisco works for the people of San Francisco in a more efficient way. So speaking of uh, your transit corridor legislation, um, your involvement in getting more, uh, expanding our fleet, replacing some of these old trains, looking at how the transit system can work better. Uh, we, we have about, well, we have about 10 more minutes on this program, but if you want to stick around a little bit longer, you can. Um, so right now, the, one of the big things that have been that's been talked about during the mayoral debates and things like that is this bill that Senator Scott Weiner has has penned in Sacramento, SB 827, which essentially seems like well, okay, it it, it, it would increase height limits um, near transit major transit hubs, um, give developers incentives to build uh, near transit hubs and bus stops. Um, but when you apply it to San Francisco, it's basically so many, I mean, because we have such a, a wide network of buses and trains, it would really kind of rezone or, or affect so many different places in San Francisco, almost almost the entire city. So it, with a, SB 827, does San Francisco actually even need that with the type of work and legislation that you've already uh, talked about and have been putting through? So I think what um, Senator Weiner is proposing, um, it, I, I agree mostly with the intent and the goal because I feel in some ways he copied my NCT legislation, except mine is more narrowly defined. And so part of um, what I am discussing with Senator Weiner at this time is making sure that we don't tear down existing housing, that we focus on using empty parking lots or empty underutilized lots, places where no housing exists as an opportunity for that. We also make sure that there are inclusionary housing requirements um, that make sense for these particular um, um, buildings. And and more important, we have to make sure um, that we do so where it's, I mean, San Francisco is a unique and very beautiful place. And I know that people People are very protective of their communities, um, and and I support building more housing. But just think about it. You and I grew up here, born and raised, and look at what's happening now because we haven't built more housing. I run into parents all over who say, my kids can't afford to live here. Right. And so what I am thinking about is, 
yes, I want to protect neighborhood character. I want to make sure San Francisco is this beautiful place that we know it can be. But I also want to make sure we're smart and strategic about building more housing and building more housing faster. And identifying underutilized lots and getting creative along transit corridors and defining those transit corridors, not just by one muni stop, but just a number of other things that come into place to do so. And so I'm currently um, working with Senator Weiner on this legislation. Um, I think that um, ultimately, I want to get to a, a good place where there are options uh, for us to build more housing that I know we can build here in the city so that the next generation of San Franciscans growing up here, they don't look back and think, what happened? What did our policymakers do? And why can't we afford to live here any longer? Right. Well, we shall see what happens with SB 827. But it uh, sounds like we've got some of the, you've got some of those ideas already in play. Um, so I want to link... Um, to housing to homelessness. I mean, we can absolutely separate these issues, but um, they're kind of more pointedly connected than they may have been in the past because the makeup of our homeless population has fundamentally changed. Um, a, a few facts from the Coalition on the Homeless fact sheet, their most recent one, which was summer of 2016, 71% of homeless people in San Francisco were previously housed residents here. Um, 3,300 children uh, homeless in San Francisco, including about 2,300 students enrolled in San Francisco Unified School District. Average studio apartment, $2,200 a month. That was then. Um, and 8,000 households on a waiting list for public housing. So we not only have a homeless crisis, a housing crisis, but we have an affordability crisis. Um, so we're getting into forum uh, time here. In the next couple minutes. <laughs> um, how would you address the issue of affordability while people um, wait for ha more housing to become available? Yeah, I think there's three things that we have to do when tackling this issue. Number one, we have to protect people who are already housed. Right. We had to make sure, like with our legislation, Supervisor Jeff Sheehy and I proposed legislation, the right to civil counsel through an ordinance. And you know, we can do this on the local level at the Board of Supervisors. Not only do we plan to do it and pass this legislation as mayor, I will fund that and make sure that when someone is facing an unjust eviction, they don't have to do so alone. Um, and they do that with support from a lawyer. Um, the other thing that we need to do is add more support to our program that provides funding for those who need additional money when they can't afford to pay their rent. Say if you lose your job and you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from and you need just a little help paying the rent for the next month or two or three, we have programs like that. We just don't put enough money into it and it runs out fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And so providing that could be all the difference, providing additional funding for that could be all the difference in making sure we can keep people housed. That should be our number one priority. Keep people housed, housing preservation uh, for affordable housing and making sure that we're watching those things just as closely as everything else we're addressing. The second thing is just what's happening on our streets every single day. People who are living on the streets who sadly have substance abuse and mental health concerns. And what I am proposing um, are safe injection sites. 
And I'm really, um, I'm excited about the work I did. Last year, 30% of San Franciscans supported safe injection sites. And then I began the process of a task force to talk about the issue, to look at what's happening all over the world. It's working in Vancouver. It's working in other places. I put out, I started down a path of a public awareness campaign, explaining to people how this can not only, you know, save money, it could save lives. Um, if we open one site, $2.7 million in hospital visits and all um, and all the other cleanup efforts and social services we provide for this particular um, challenge. And my ultimate goal is I want to get the needles off the streets. I want to get the people off the streets from shooting up publicly, and I want to save someone's life. And um, part of safe injection sites can do just that. And last year, 30% of San Franciscans supported it, and this year polls show that 67% of San Franciscans support it. So I think that the work we did to open, um, to talk to the public about this particular issue and just really let folks know how this could be helpful has really opened people's eyes to being more supportive about this effort. Um, the other thing that I'm working on is um, reforms to our mental health system. And we know that there are people who struggle uh, with mental health challenges. And part of what I am moving forward is, you know, like is, is not treating it like a criminal issue. Um, and someone's like, for example, harm to themselves and others. And, and there has to be a law broken in order for them to get, you know, assisted. But we are proposing that we take that component out of the district attorney's office and move it over to the city attorney's office and treat these cases like child conservatorship cases. And the goal is we want to get people the help they need. We, want to, we don't want to institutionalize anyone. We don't want to you know, hold people and, and, and um, for longer periods of time than we need to. I think it's important that we do it in a way that you know, shows respect to the individual.
It's high noon. We're about to get high here on Mutiny Radio. We're about to get this going and uh, spark up some bowls. Be excited. I am joined by LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth. It's been a while. It's been a while. Where have you been? What have you been up to? I was in Kansas City. Um, you, oh boy, yeah. you went home to visit the fam. Yeah, I did. It was my uncle's 80th birthday. Oh, and, wow. Um, and I saw a lot of relatives who I'd seen in a long time. Good party? Good party? Yeah, it was great. And I kind of miss the Midwest. Speaking of nice people, oh. you know, of course you'll run into some, there are some Trump supporters at his party, but Ooh. it's funny, they, these white folks come to a black man's 80th birthday party and they're Trump supporters. <gasps> and it was so funny because I asked my uncle, I'm like, how can they, like, they know you're black, right? <laughs> and he's married to a white black. woman. So it's just like, well, you know, and he's just like, yeah, it's really weird though, right? I'm like, yeah, it is. It's but, I, but I, don't, I can't really believe nice there people. are still Trump supporters. Yeah. I can't believe they still exist. They were, they were really nice people. I did not have any political conversations with them. Nope. You should talk about porn with them, though. I know <laughs> I know how much you love porn. <laughs> I do and I know have. how much Trump loves <laughs> yeah. porn stars since oh, they've all been coming God. out last week about their non-disclosure agreements Ew. with his lawyer and not with him. So they really aren't breaking a conflict of interest. How can by, you sleep with that? How can you? Just, well, you do it for money. It's prostitution. It's great. It's, you know... But at the Porn time, is the only thing. Prostitution is illegal unless you film it and then you sell it. Right. And it's porn and then it's legal and you can make money off it. I don't get it. I, I mean, it just. I mean, he's I, it, he's just so fucking. So, but he can pay for sex and he's the president and everybody's okay with it. Uh, by the way, can I say like, okay, it's Stormy Daniels. That's her name. The she's Stormy the porn star. Stormy Daniels. One hundred and twenty. One hundred and twenty-eight grand is not enough for me to be paid off. That's how, grand. That's, all, that's how she got paid off. Hmm. Well, that's not enough back money. In the day, you, you can't, that was in 2006. Okay. But you even, even for 2006's time, you can't even buy a house here in SF for 126 right. grand. You, you can buy you can buy a house in Mexico for, for that. You can buy a lot of things in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, mm. how was your trip? Well, what I learned about Mexico is that everyone hates Mexicans. Even, <laughs> even the Mexicans hate Mexicans. <laughs> so down there, the federal are pulling over where we stayed. We stayed at the same place that we stayed in December. And this time, the Federales posted at this one area over a bridge, and they were stopping all the, get this, brown people. Oh. They're letting all the white people going through. The brown people in are stopping the brown, in their own country, the brown people are stopping the brown people, pulling them out of their cars, taking, looking at their phones, taking pictures of their license plates, and then letting them go. Or getting their weed or whatever. Basically, it's incredibly hard to get weed in Mexico right now because so everyone's oh, so worried because they're like, they're trying to keep all the Americans safe now. So the Fun. federales are keeping the white people safe. So what they're doing is subjugating their own people. It is crazy. Why does everybody hate Mexicans? They are the nicest. They smile at you on the street. They wave. Everybody says hello. They cook from scratch. They're the most amazing people that are, and they don't even get access to the own beauty of their own land. What's happening oh now God. is all of these amazing, like huge building complexes are taking up all the shoreline and making it impossible to get to the beautiful beaches unless you walk through the rich people place. But you can't walk through the rich people place unless you have a room number. So Jonathan and I, oh, we outsmarted them. So we wanted to go in Cabo San Dog shit. We wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to go to this, there's this beautiful place. Yeah. So there's this beautiful place place where there's the Pacific side. So there's this Cabo San Dog shit has this, it's where the, the all, it's a, 
a marina where all of the ships come in and the huge thing is parked there, the princess thing, and all the white people come and everything's in dollars, unless you go like two blocks off of it and then you have the best tacos for nothing. It's amazing. Jonathan and I, no, we understand Mexico. He speaks Spanish. Anyways, so we're trying to find this really beautiful place that's on the Pacific Ocean and I'm looking at all of the maps and I'm like, there's no way to get through unless we go through one of these resorts. Right. So we walk up this road to this resort and we're following this lady and her kid. And um, I go, Jonathan, just follow the lady and the kid. They'll think we're with the lady and the kid. And they did. But Jonathan hears them say, when they asked for a room number, they said 6402. So Jonathan goes, our room number is 6404. So we walk in and we walk by this beautiful thing and we're trying not to have our mouths open like, it's so gorgeous, there's everything's incredible, it's so palatial. <laughs> and we're walking through and, and they, oh, welcome back, senori, senora. Ah, welcome back. We wave at them. We're walking through, blah, blah, blah. So we walk through and we walk out to where the beach is. And we're like, ah, oh, this is it, the beautiful beach. And we go down these stairs and there's a guy with a clipboard. And uh, he's like, oh, hey, you go into the beach. Great. What, what's your room number? 6404. Great. So we go down there and there's people with clipboards everywhere making sure uh, on this beach, which is a public beach, but now they've made it. There's no way to get through unless you go through the rich people stuff. So they're basically keeping like the, the Mexicans out, out of their own place. It's crazy to me that that vacation would have made me mad. It was, it was, you know. But so, so we pretended we're like, we're like, we're white. Use when your privilege. Use the privilege. So we like used the amenities and sat by the beautiful pool, and nobody questioned us because we were in room six four zero four, and it was a seven story building. So this, I mean, six four. We're up at the top, so we're obviously rich people. But I, it was crazy. We, obviously, we couldn't afford to stay there, but we're white enough that they believe that we could potentially. Maybe our parents were paying for us. <laughs> wow. So it was different from the couple months that you were there back in December. Yeah, it was. Um, well, so we stay in um, San Jose del Cabo, which is like a really great town. And then you get on the bus. And it costs 250 and you can take it to Cabo San Dogship. And it's nice because you see the arch from the bus and you get down there. But then calling it that. It, well it. no, because it's it's so catered to tourists and rich people. And we picked up a real estate magazine where you can buy houses for twelve million dollars on these hills. We're just stealing their land. It's like we don't even have enough of our own land to steal. Now we have to go to Mexico and steal their land with our rich, stupid dollars. It just it's so sad how money is corrupting. You just I mean, see money corrupting things, even in other countries. It's and and then to have the audacity to want to build a wall, right? <laughs> well, so and then and then degrade the Mexican folks, the poor poor Mexican folks, and they're they are rich in spirit, and they are rich in abilities, and my God, they nobody has a better work ethic than Mexicans. They all. There are no homeless people in Mexico. We, there, there are no homeless people because everybody has a motherfucking job. Or jobs. Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I want to wow. move there so badly. And things are really inexpensive. I mean. For now. Yeah, for now. We So when we got, uh, we went to Cabo San Dog Ship, but we went off the beaten path. We were a couple, and we found this amazing taco place. And it's funny because we walk in there and there's Mexican people eating there. And we sit down and they're like, the Mexican guys are like, you found the best tacos in Cabo San Lucas. And I was like, yeah, sure we did. We sit down. We had we had four tacos. They gave us bowls of beans and all of these salsas. We we had two beers and it was 180 pesos. That's ten dollars. <laughs> it was ten dollars for four tacos, two bowls of beans, four 
four or five salsas, chips, chips too. And then I had a carne asada and a fish one, and he had two El Pastor and two Modelo Especiales, 180 pesos. We give him 200, and he tries to give us change. We said, no, here's 20 more pesos for a tip. He's like, oh, oh, gross, thank you. We're like, yeah, what is happening here? I mean, no. crazy. To F, to SF's, uh, <laughs> to break that down on SF cash flow, right. that would be $28. Sure. <laughs> yeah, two beers. $30. The beers, the beers would have been 10 yeah. And then the tacos would have been at least, I mean, even the fish tacos at Rubio's right now are $3.99 a piece. So it would have been, we'll say $4 a taco. So yeah, $16.10. Yeah, with tip, we would have been looking at $28. Oh, Same wow. meal. Same I was meal. just throwing a number out there, but. No, no, you were exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, you're exactly right. Oh, that, see, that was another thing, too. Like, going back to Kansas City, things were cheap. Ah, yeah. yeah. Like, I. We had like a nice brunch. It took my aunt and my brother out to brunch. Yeah. Brunch. And it was like a open buffet with like, you know, the guy made omelets right on the spot and oh, shit. Yeah. And like there was seafood, Midwest seafood, huh? Oh my gosh. Was it, was it? It was, it was good. It okay. Was, it was all right. It's shrimps. I, I, it, there's shrimps. I stuck with the trout though. Cause oh, all right. more local. Sure. Um, but so and we drank a bunch of mimosas everything for all the stuff that we had everything was 150 dollars for three of us and a bunch of mimosas yeah because i had like six right (laughs) my mother had four and then my aunt had two and then plus you know our entree so 150 bucks which you know here that have been probably 200 yeah absolutely 250 bucks yeah oh god this place yeah coming back was um well, so when we before we left, we're in the airport and we're like, all right, we're on vacation. Let's have a beer. We got two beers at the airport without tip. And Jonathan didn't tip because it was so insane. It was twenty four dollars and ten cents for two beers at the airport uh, here at SF at SFO. I know it was it was like Warriors beers. What? I know it's like Warriors beers. It's like what? Oco. It's like that was like 49ers beers. That was like I know. And $24.10, that means that they were $12.05 a piece? I know, I know, I know. Wait, what part were you guys at, by the way? We were just in SFO with the waiting Virgin America. Okay, okay, I know where you guys. Were you guys at Perry's or... um, We went to the... Laura, it was... um, it, she's a person from food, Cat Cora's Grill or something. But oh, it was like, I walked we're by sitting there. there and I'm like, we just thought, oh, we'll get, and we're like, oh, they have Lagunitas. We'll get two Lagunitas before we go. We had, no, we were thinking maybe they'd be like nine bucks a piece. Right. So like 19 bucks, we thought 20 we'd give bucks. Them a 20. We're like, eh, we'll give them a 20 for two beers. We'll be fine. We're yeah. on vacation. But then it was $24 and 10 cents. I was like, oh, my God. It's just the fuck, and the airport shit is bad. Oh, coming back. See, um, we, Marcus and I, we were hungry and we didn't have any food at the house, so we stopped by the cafe. There's this uh, cafe um, in the uh, the uh, Qantas side of the airport. And so, like, Marcus got an Americano. I didn't get anything to drink. I got a salad and, like, a spinach pie. He got a spinach pie. $30. Whoa. And I saw how much my salad was, $13.99. And it was just in one of those plastic containers. I'm like, motherfucker. I'm, and and I had to throw the spinach pie away because it was bad. It why was does the gross. airport have a, a tax on it? Who Extreme is taxing tax. the airport? Is it a governmental tax? Is it just they I know that we're, I've never they have us trapped? 
Is it because, is it help, does it help pay for the security? Because we have to be inside security when we're there? I just don't understand where the money's going. Yeah, I I never looked it up. I've never, you know, I've always known. Why it costs $9 to get on BART to get to the airport. There's like a $4 airport tax. It is pricey to get to BART from the airport. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're traveling anywhere, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's insane. But I do have a habit of like, if I'm going to fly someplace, because I do like SFO's airport. It's nice. I do want to sit and have a Bloody Mary, That's which true. I know I'm going to pay 12 or $15. $15 for you. <laughs> I know. And I swallow I know. my pride. I know. And I you don't have another one. You could buy a bottle of vodka for $15. You could buy the Bloody Mary mix and the vodka. Yeah. It's, and maybe some olives. Yeah. I can't. Uh, I have no idea what's happening in this the This town. <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, the question, is it life? Is life getting that expensive? It just is. It's, it's, it just is. It is. And then the wages are still stagnant. Mm. And if you have health insurance, that's going up. And, you know, oh. you can't get it nice. You can't drink two beers for under 10 bucks. Though I did. Though I did in Kansas City. Oh, Five dollars. Well, but alcohol is cheap in the Midwest. Yeah. I've heard Because all you got to do is drink. That's all. Yeah. Because how else? I know. How else can we be happiest people? I don't have any idea. I had some so good ass beer for five dollars. Like I had three. That's fifteen dollars. Yeah. Under- well, that was like so. We spent all our pesos sitting at the out the beautiful outdoor bar and. Um, San Jose del Cabo we were waiting we got there we took the bus we got there we were waiting and we knew we had time to wait or whatever and so we just were like well we'll just drink up our pesos and so we had about 20 bucks in pesos left and we had five beers and that's I feel like that's great and that that's expensive for Mexico because it was like 110 pesos for 20 tacates so 110 pesos is about 650 so when you go to like a corner store so we were getting uh, 12 Indios, which are a good brown Mexican beer, El Indio. Love it. Uh, it was 145 for 12, so still less than $10 for 12 beers. It was like eight I'm, bucks, seven fifty, seven seven eight bucks. You know, I've never been to Mexico. I don't know what the fuck I'm waiting on. Yeah. Oh, go. It's like, great. So I can like spend some money and have a good time. Yeah. And if you're, if people, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to go to Mexico, let me tell you, people. I, Jonathan and I spent, and I'm not even kidding you, all told, with even the snafu at the end, his phone wasn't working when we came back, so we didn't get to pay, have a lift, so we had to take a, a cab, so we had to pay extra money there, but with the cab, with everything, both with, even including the $24 beers at the top of our trip, we spent $1,395. Which is? $1,395, which counts. Oh, that's, oh, that's, that's it. it. For seven days, seven days for... Airfare, staying in the most amazing Airbnb, all of our food, all of our fun times, all of our bus rides, everything, everything. And we, we we had want for nothing the whole time. We drank whenever we wanted to drink. We went out to bars. I sang karaoke. We did we did everything we wanted to do, and we spent less than fourteen hundred dollars. And did you seven hundred dollars? Was so seven hundred dollars? So a hundred dollars a day per person, including everything. 
that's what we did. And did you like guys get groceries and cook in the home? Yes. So the Airbnb that we stay at is amazing. And it has this really big kitchen and it overlooks the ocean and it's super oh. gorgeous. And I love cooking anyway. So the first day we got there, we went to El La Comer, which is this big grocery store. And we spent... 1,095 pesos, which is basically like 65 bucks. Oh, and nice. we had, we actually left them some food. Uh, we went back for more fruit because we, we had a smoothie every morning that would have all the different local fruits. And uh, we had one with, uh, there was a kiwi avocado one I made that was, it's like, it was kiwi avocado pineapple. That <laughs> was a great really smoothie. Uh, with, uh, I think, mango uh, yogurt. Anyways, we're making smoothies every morning. So like, I'd wake up and I'd go in the kitchen and I'd make the smoothies and we'd make a big pot of coffee and we bought a big thing of whiskey. That too. We had a big bottle of whiskey. So whiskey in our coffee every morning and we had <laughs> smoothies. smoothies. And then if we were hungry in a little bit, I'd be like, oh, do we want like steak and eggs? This was the craziest thing in Mexico. This so cheap. Beef. I don't know why beef is cheap in Mexico. And it tastes so good. We got two uh, New York strip steaks and they were big for 44 pesos. Okay, let me do the math for people. That's like $2.50. Jeez for two and they were so good they were so good and I used them in all different ways and I made one of them I mean I was crazy I, I, Mexico is an amazing place it was like yeah it's it was crazy did you check out other than like the you know the 12 million dollar homes did you see how much a modest home like if you were yeah. to decide to move there did you see we could buy land so the way to do it, and we saw some different plots, um, and the closer you are to the beach, obviously the more expensive the plots are, but we saw plots ranging from 5000 to 36000 Now the thing is when you buy land in Mexico, you don't actually buy it forever. You get a 99-year lease from the government of Mexico, and it's it's sort of one of, the, one of the only socialist things they do, and it makes sense, is that if you buy the land, you're gonna use it in your lifetime, and you can pass that to your kids. But if it's your grandkids, Where's that land going to go? Back to the fucking government or they can buy it again. Like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know if any of those leases have been up since they've started doing that because it was 99 year lease. But like, it's a, right? Like if you buy the land, if you give it to your grandkids, they didn't do anything for that. Fuck them. Like, don't if they don't make it, they haven't already made it. If you don't have enough money for them to rebuy it, rebuy the fucking land. You know? Like, no. right? Get a job. It's a little bit of socialism. It's like this whole like, your parents were rich, so you're rich. I think that that's one of the things that fucks up Americans is that the people that are born on third base go, well, I deserve it. It's mine and I deserve it. And I'm entitled because that's my parents did that. It's like, I don't know. I just think that if it was more every man, because I'm like, you know, the every man, I'm like every man for himself kind of thing in socialism. It, it breaks down the field because it makes it so that it takes out what we have with this Trump problem or it's with the one percent. It 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 just abolishes the one percent because when when you're born on third base and home plate and when you go to let's say you did go to your parents are rich and you went to Stanford and you get out then your parents have connections that they give you or they can buy, you can buy your way into things because you have money. You know, it's like... The and then struggle you say, is not real. The struggle you. is not real. So... You're already in. You're already in. You're already in. You're, you're good. But then we, we laud that. We appreciate that with all of our media and the idea of a princess or that you're going to marry somebody rich or if we could just... 
wipe the, just a little more socialism. Now, we don't need to go hardcore Marxism right away, but if we could just, you know, put the cap. You don't need to make more than a million dollars a year. Who needs the $12 million homes? I should have brought the book home for you. It is insane. The homes that people are building on these, these fortresses on the mountains of Mexico that overlook all the beautiful oceans and ridiculous cement and all the cement and there and the thing is if a hurricane happens is everything going to be destroyed and then is that because yeah. they can afford the insurance and they, they get their money back anyway it's like but still i mean like <clears throat> that's another thing to think about i like that theory the fact of like you know building a 12 million dollar home knowing god in a hurricane what? zone yeah florida there was a hurricane four years ago that knocked everything out we talked to adrian the guy who runs the airbnb he's like their person who lives there and he's a badass fucking shout out he got deported from here he can never come back to the united states what? he was he was he's from gilroy he wasn't born here but his brother was so half his family is here in gilroy and he can't ever go back he can never see his family in the united states again because he's been deported and he had this five-year thing but they didn't tell him about it where he's supposed to apply for something but he didn't because he didn't know about it and now he can never go back fucking trickery ass and he, he's 30, How long ago was this? Th- very recently. He, oh. Like nine years or something. 30 se- he lives 37 years in Gilroy. 37 years. And the majority of his family lives there. And he can't go back. So he told us four years ago there was a hurricane. And it was so bad. The power was out for a month. Oh, shit. A month. A m- there was no electricity. No, wa- no water. It sounds like Puerto Rico right now. For a month. Imagine, imagine here in San Francisco if there was no electricity for a week. The white people go crazy. It would be chaos. People would be running in the streets. They'd be tearing their hair out. People would be shooting everybody with guns. People would be peeing on each other. I can't Throwing use dogs my phone. out the window. I can't use my phone. Can't. There would be. It would be. It would be. <laughs> there would be. They'd be kicking dogs off bridges. It would be. <laughs> it would be. It would be, it would be nuts. <laughs> It'd be. But he said the first three days. But there was no government. The government shut down. So they were told by the government and the police to loot all the stores because they needed water. They, so the, Mexico basically told them, loot all the stores, but only take the food and the water. And people were, of course, they're taking everything. But, yeah, right, but so right. he said that the first three days, because there was no refrigeration, he got all this meat and a lot of canned stuff and all this water. But the first three days, all he ate was meat because he knew it was going to go bad. And after three days, that was it. And so then he was like eating canned stuff and fruit and trying his best. And But I mean, if you were going to make rice, you had to boil water. So you had to build a fire so it, you could get charcoal. And you, I mean, a month. A motherfucking month. I think I'd be okay, but I think the rest, the majority of San Francisco would fall into chaos. Um, I think the whole city of San Francisco would go to chaos. Yeah. Nuts. I mean, mm-mm. mm-mm. People, this is tech country. We need, ele- they need electricity. Well, we're all tech and we're so reliant on our tech. Mm. It's, uh, it's, I hear, That's my oh, phone. okay. I was like, such a cool song. When did that into, get into Cope? <laughs> Everybody's, uh, young Americans. Calling. Well, I miss David Bowie too. I, Let's take this moment to remember David Bowie. I miss him. Of course. Oh, and Prince. Well, and Prince. And he, they escaped, they escaped the horrors of, of, the, yeah, of now. What, what is now. Well, I'm having existential crisis. Cause I feel like 
what has meaning anymore? Like I was in Mexico for a week and I didn't think about anything. We lived, I mean, we're frugal, but like I said, we were, we had want for nothing and it was amazing. And it was just, anyway, but I was like, what is like my purpose? And I got all existential and I don't know if it was because I watched so much Rick and Morty or <laughs> if like, I just, I, it was, it was like, oh, I used to have a purpose and that now that purpose didn't feel fulfilled. And now I'm like, oh, I need a new purpose. Yeah. I just don't know how to, I, I'm on a search for meaning. Ditto. Yeah. I, I don't know where to go from here. I, I feel the same way. I feel like it has what I've, what I've done obviously has to have had some meaning cause it's meaning cause it's led me to this place. Right. But I feel like everything I have done hasn't accomplished the goal of a my happiness or b monetary or b society's vision of what success is. <laughs> so I don't know where to go from here, and I kind of feel like I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to not. I want to stop trying. I want to think a lot less. Maybe this is maybe the time less. to travel. Right, this might be a really good time. To this travel. might be the time to travel. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God damn it! Yeah. Damn no, it, you get, get you get. We'll think about we'll think about Bowie again. In fact, what we'll do is we'll look for uh, hot, dirty pee, and the we're gonna we're gonna listen to one of the old songs and see. Uh, well, I mean, the, God, I, I love the Trump one, but. I mean, there were there were a lot of them. We'll see if I can find them. And there's a that there's was from 2017 too. Yeah. Well, we we were trying to figure out what I mean, and and I think they still hold up. It'll be fun to if I oh, can absolutely. find them to see. We should come where, with some new ones. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we got to do one for the NRA. That's a good. Oh one. my God, the NRA. Uh, Steve Mnuchin, the guy that you know, uh, he's this. Uh, Secretary of uh, horseshit. Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what's going on anymore because I can't Good. even pay attention because it's too. It's stressful and confusing and. It's fucking stressful. Hasn't he already done enough illegal things? Like, can't we just impeach him already? The whole thing with the guns, the children being shot in Maryland, and the yes, child the three, being shot. Yes. The child. The child shot two people, and then the child was shot by the guy that had the gun. Gun. Because yeah. now I guess they get to have guns. If I had kids, which obviously I'm not going to, I would homeschool them. I would never let them go well, to a you school. You heard about, oh, you. this happened while you were gone. Yeah, so, the Maryland thing. No, that happened yesterday. And then while you were gone, there was a teacher in um, outside Monterey here um, who, he was a ex-police officer and he was trained and he was teaching a, a, a class, a, a shooting class or whatever. Oh, the guy shot himself in the foot. No, this is a guy that shot up in the ceiling and the bullet fragments hit... Uh, hit a child! Street. Yeah, in the neck. What? Bullet fragments, yeah. So just trying to imagine... They were trying to teach gun safety in a class and they hurt a child. <laughs> the irony is very funny. Yeah. And by the way, he sad. was trained. He was pol ex-police officer. Fully so. trained. Well, it's the same. We, we saw the video of the guy who was trying to teach kids that guns weren't safe. Yes. And he had a gun. And then he said, see, it's empty. And he shot it. And then he put it down. And there actually was a bullet. And he shot himself in the foot. <laughs> and But then he's trying to play it off like he's okay. But he shot himself in the foot. And the teacher goes up to him and goes, oh, Jesus. Because he shot himself, himself in the, the foot. foot. 
And he's like, I'm the only one that's trained and perfect. And it goes off. And I was like, why? It's just... Okay, so in Mexico, the guy uh, who was taking care of Adrian, the lovely fellow, amazing human being, uh, he's explaining, he's asking us actually, he's like, why are kids shooting up schools? He's like, this is not a thing that happens here. This would never... Why is this not just a phenomenon, because that would mean that it happened once, but that it is now becoming... It's a thing. It's It's a constant thing. It's a thing. It's like... um, it's like you could stereotype. It's a trend. It's a trend, and it's something. It's, it's, not, it's not a good one. <laughs> no, it's terrible. But and we can look at how we looked at the, we we looked at all the shootings. We can see how they're more and more and more. It's they're happening in the time period is almost like every single time it happens, it halves the time period. Like the half life of it is, it keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah, absolutely. Shootings. It's not just a year. Like it used to be. Like remember when it was just shoot- Columbine? Yeah, exactly. It was just Columbine. <laughs> it was just Columbine, and then there was a little bit. But you know what it was? After uh, the Bush administration lifted up the uh, assault rifles ban, that's when sh- shit went crazy. So then that was Virginia Tech, and. We went through that whole we went video, through the whole list. video, yeah, and some we forgot. Some we that's forgot. How many that's how terrible it's it been is. since. Yeah. Like we can even go. We're, we don't have to go as far back as we did in the 1940s. Right, right, right. But if we go from Columbine, which is 99, to now, holy shit! Right. There's exponential like, growth. It, exponential yeah, growth. It's, it's like it, it's like a curve that starts to go up, and now it's just shooting up, and it seems like it just becomes. It's like a Superman ride. And then you know, I. The fact of the matter is just like, why does it happen all the time? I'll tell you why. Because fucking Republicans so and Congress this is so and, and the NRA terrorist group. So there are multiple factors. So this was us trying, this was Jonathan and I tried to explain in our words why. So I'll do it from myself. This is why I think that children in America are shooting up their schools. It starts... Uh, there's it's it's a it's a two-pronged approach it's one parents are uh lazy and are not parenting their children anymore and they're using media to help parent their children Ah, so i agree with that so there's a there's a two-pronged approach where these two things are coming together and parents can really pay attention to their children it's the joke i have where what's the difference between a nanny and a mommy at the park what? There's no difference. Everyone's on their cell phone. No one's paying That's attention to the children. And the children could be dead right now. Jesus Nobody cares. Christ. Everyone's on their cell phone. That's Even the true. dogs have cell phones. Damn. Even the children have cell phones. Even the children are like, I don't want to go to the park. I just want to look at this thing on a screen. Okay. So we've got... And that's now, but those are the two things that are melding together. But then we've also got parents telling their children that they're perfect, special little angels, even when they're piles of dog shit, when they act horribly, instead of giving them the stink eye or when they scream on the bus, instead of taking them off the bus and saying, that is not the way you act in public, Mm -hmm. they just ignore it and keep looking at their phone. So... They're They're not engaging in the child. They're not engaging in the child. But then when they do engage in the child, they say, you're perfect. You're special. You're amazing. You're a snowflake. And they've got that coming from media too. Anything you want, you can believe, you can achieve, you can do it. Everyone gets a participation trophy. Everything's great. So from this external thing of both parenting and the lack of and media and the pervasiveness of that, you're being told you're special, you're wonderful, you're unique. And then you get in school and you get with real kids and you realize that humans are horrible. Kids are fucking brutal. Kids are brutal. They are brutal. 
brutal. I do not want to go back to my childhood. If you smell funny, if you look funny, if you don't even do anything wrong, if you're too skinny, if you're too fat, if you're too tall, if you're too tall, if you're too short, if you're anything, if you're not invisible, then you're, and people, they will pick on you because they get together with group mentality because they don't understand social relations because they're being taught by screens, which are not teaching them anything. And they're being, they're not being actually disciplined or there's nothing, everything they want, they get, they get it. I want to you're in the, you're in the store. I want a candy bar. I was in the aisle and there was a girl screaming about, I'm like, what the fuck? You get no candy. When you scream in the motherfucking store, you get nothing. You don't get rewarded for negative behavior. Fuck you. And there's like four adults and they're all just like catering this to this child. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Okay. So there's all that happening. But then they get in school. They get in school and then they realize that people are horrible people. And they get angry and they don't understand. And they're like, fuck it. And they just want to kill everybody. So, and... Guns are easy and they're available and they've been watching all this media and what's been on the media. That kid was disenfranchised and he went and shot up the school and people are like, I get it. So we're, we're responsible for making this happen. I I wish the electricity would go out so we could not have, we shouldn't let children consume. We shouldn't let anyone consume that much media as much as we do. But now I'm, told that I'm crazy because I don't consume media. So it's like, and you say, well, nothing will work unless you start consuming media. Well, here's, here's what happens, uh, when you consume media and you use Facebook as your personal fucking diary every day, you know what happened with the whole Facebook thing. Now it's nothing. Now it's going, everyone's moving away from Facebook. Well, yeah. You know, because they sold, um, uh, some, uh, our, uh, data to, uh, the people to the Russians that helped with the election. Look that shit up. They sold our Facebook data to Russians or to, or or to, uh, it was to this group in the UK that worked, I think along with the Russians, I could be wrong. I think I might be saying the story wrong, but basically we're just um, putting in Facebook, Russia and we're seeing what comes out. Oh, lots of something. Facebook exit hints at dissent on handling Russian trolls. What does that even mean? Facebook exit hints at dissent on handling of Russian trolls, meaning the way the Russian trolls were handled, they dissented that there, there's a little, ooh, this is very confusing. That's like a double negative in its own thing. Look up uh, Cambridge Analytical Scandals Explained, Facebook, Trump, Russia, WikiLeaks. This is from Vox. Vox or Vox? Vox, V-O-X, meaning Latin for voice. Cambridge Analytica and its many scandals explained. The firm has close ties to Steve Bannon. Steve, 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 Steve Bannon, man. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. We have that song. We play that. Worked for the Trump campaign and is now in some hot water. Because... Facebook sold our data for millions of, uh, like, I think, uh, yeah, millions of dollars. And I think it was other 50 million users 
to help swing the election because since Facebook knows who you are, they know what you like, they, they know, know your political, you know, right. they know that I'm a communist. Good. Yeah. And they're going to find me Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica, a political consulting firm that did digital work for Donald Trump's presidential campaign in 2016 has close ties to Steve Bannon and GOP mega donor Robert Mercer is in hot water after several recent reports have raised ethical and potentially legal questions about its business practices. The New York Times and Observer reported last week that Cambridge obtained private Facebook data, specifically information on tens of millions of Facebook profiles from an outside researcher who provided it to them in violation of his own agreement with Facebook. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Channel 4 News in the UK has posted video in which Cambridge CEO Alexander Nix said his firm conducts dirty tricks such as trying to tape its candidates' opponents accepting purported bribes or sending some girls around the opposing candidate's house. As as a result of these reports, Cambridge announced Tuesday afternoon it would suspend Nick's pending an investigation. Even before all this, though, Cambridge was under scrutiny in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, both because Nix contacted Julian Assange of WikiLeaks that summer to discuss hacked Democratic emails and because of a broader question about whether Trump's digital operation collaborated with Russia in some way. And while all this has been going on, there's also been a heated debate in the political world about just what in the world Cambridge Analytica even does and whether it's useful. Are they an ingenious, sinister operation that harnessed big data to power Donald Trump to victory? Or are they, as many who've worked with them claim, sort of a joke or something in between? Before there was Cambridge Analytica, there was Strategic Communications Laboratories Group, SLC Group for short, founded in 93 by a British ad man named Nigel Oakes. It is basically a messaging and PR firm that's done work for governments, politicians, and militaries around the world. Its clients included governments and politicians in Indonesia, Thailand, Kenya, the UK, and elsewhere. Uh, but psych- psychographic profiling. Here we go. SLC tends to describe its capabilities in grandiose and somewhat unsettling language. The company has touted its expertise at psychological warfare and influence operations. Mm-hmm. It's long claimed that its sophisticated understanding of human psychology helps its targets and to, and persuades people of its clients' preferred message. Lately, its preferred buzzwords have focused on big data and psychographic profiling. <laughs> Yet articles from the Wall Street Journal Independent on SLC's work circa 99 and 2000 describes what sound like relatively standard political messaging and PR work for the Thai and Indonesian regimes, along with a penchant for secrecy and ethically questionable activities. Uh, Placing TV, it's blah, 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 blah. But but I want to hear about Russia. Uh, GOP, here we go, we got some GOP stuff. Uh, The Mercers agreed to provide $15 for this project to do so. This project was called Ocean. Openness, consciousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. <laughs> you can take the test here. Um, so they're they're basically trying to take, what, take give our, us the right media. They're, they're taking are they taking our da- data from um, like our uh, profiles on Facebook or what have you, and it's being sold. So they're using a lot of psychological strategy to like yeah that, that were political or stories they would use those as a target to swing your vote or you know to basically you know post a fake story about <sighs> right right because my, they're doing yeah. fake news got gotcha. right. right 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 so they know which fake news stories now that makes more sense yeah but the thing is 
we've made our people dumb. Like this has all been a plan. This has been uh, since No Child Left Behind, since Bush, which is to make our people so dumb and so when you let your guard down, reliant. Yeah, exactly. That's our reliance upon media to tell us who we are and what we do and that how we consume. Sad. We are all we are. Our number. We are just. It's all about money. We are nothing. How are we supposed to live our lives when everything is nothing? Like, how can we create meaning when there's this? When there's fucking stupidity. It's just crazy. And the thing is just like, you know, people, you know, people trust. Listen, I I like social media. I love it. It's fun. I'm not on it every day because I like the real world more. Mm. And, but people trust you know people post things on facebook when they shouldn't be mm. people use it as their personal diaries stupid ass criminals post their crimes up there and then get caught anyway that's funny i mean it is funny that's very funny when i watch judge mathis most of the cases are because of slanderous on facebook or what wow. have you people, i mean really there's a good way social media is not your personal diary to put all your shit up there because it's for everyone and then also too and this is going further to like with myspace which i had back in the day you can't put everything out there for because it will be held against you and i've always felt the government will use whatever you put out there to hold against you or and look what happened now i mean your, your data is getting sold i know but nobody wants my data <laughs> no, my data no. says well, nothing. You're dead. You your can't swing. Sp- they can't swing me. Like they can't. Your data special. Yeah. No, I just. I don't. I'm. It's, I'm not special. I just. It's because I. I know how to read. And I, like, I have this thing called critical thought. Like I can read things and analyze whether I think that they're, you know, good or. But not this is like one of the or, tactics like a lot of the trolls have used to. The trolls. The trolls. No, and the and, trolls. You know what? The trolls came out because when we started doing when I, I started talking a little bit about like the 9-11 conspiracy and um and or it's not a conspiracy when I started posting stuff about that there were people that came out that were like I'm like I think they're paid yeah by the other side to find this stuff and then there to is. comment on it yeah. and to make it bigger and, and people make you feel bad about yourself they say the worst There's things, things. The- they say you're stupid I- and stuff and I'm like I'm just saying that from the evidence that I've seen and from the knowledge that I've compiled it really seems like it was a controlled detonation which means that somebody did it and Listen. and I and I'd like someday to find out who the responsible party was and whether it was the guy the Jewish guy who bought the building doesn't matter that he's Jewish but the rich man who bought the building and knew that it needed to be retrofitted for asbestos on from floor 64 up you know or you know there was they'd used asbestos in half the building and they knew they had to get it out and it would cost so much you know so all that stuff and that, that he got the payout, he got the insurance payout that doubled because they said it was, he said it was two buildings and he fought for that. And it was actually three buildings and then fall apart way far away that had all the paperwork that would have all the, I mean, there was so much information that blew up because now everything's digital, but all that information was from before everything was digital, before everything was in the cloud. So it was real. They blew up a building of hard evidence, basically. They blew up. I'm curious to know what the trolls said. Okay. Oh, the trolls said on my stuff. Yeah. What, like, what did they say? 
Like, oh, uh, about, oh, they just said I was stupid, stupid, stupid. Dumb, yeah. dumb, 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 dumb. The, the, it's I, easy to find them now. Here's real proof. This is real proof. Blah, 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 blah. Isn't it easy to, like, find out that you're a troll? Like, because I, I would get into it with people. Like, uh, I remember I got into, into it with some, like, during the Michael Brown thing. And I'm just mm. like... It was really heated, but now I'm like, uh, when I post things on YouTube or, you know, add a comment, I always, I always know who's trolling because it's always the ones that don't know how to spell, uh-huh. um, can only say like, this is, this is fake news. You're an asshole. And I'm right, like, right, is right, that right. all you got? Or they, you- they say like, you're the dumbest person ever. Yeah. And I'm just like, give me something. Can you, can you throw something a little bit with logic? It's so funny. They, he got I can't even see him on the side of things. This is as Russian connection. The emergence of Krogan's St. Petersburg connection comes as relations between Moscow and the West plumbed to new lows. Kogan, a U.S. citizen, uh, born in the... Oh, it's... You know, this is funny. It's not actually... It doesn't want to let me read this thing. It keeps popping up. It, it's like they really don't want you to uh, know what's going on. <laughs> Facebook and UK political consultant they sued in data storm. Okay, so basically, the shit's hitting the fan because. But that's so. What's gonna happen out of all this? That's that's the question, right? That's, so does we don't have happen? any we don't have the responsible adults in the room right now. So we'll just let all the dictators and all the assholes have their fun day. And and push the red button when um. It was Trump said something about he's he uh, the the death penalty and drug oh, cases. Oh yes, yeah. I'm During like the Duterte. Duterte. Yeah. yeah. And he supports that guy. He even said he, like I support homie. that guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. He likes dictators. And I'm just like, so you, that, does that mean that you're gonna kill all the doctors and people at the pharmaceutical right, company? Right. Because I think <laughs> I found I found that statement really funny because I was think I was thinking this nigga thinks that this is some homeboy on the corner selling some smack when it's actually no it's dr bryce Watkins. so here trump wants the death penalty for drug traffickers he's got it this is very sad this is from nbc news this is like trump wants the death penalty for drug traffickers he's got it capital punishment is authorized against those who run a continuing criminal enterprise involving large quantities of drugs or that brings in 20 million dollars over a one-year period the death penalty for $20 million. He's, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Legal analysis. Tr- Donald, President Donald Trump said Monday that one way his administration will combat the opioid crisis is by increasing criminal penalties, including seeking the death penalty for drug traffickers. You know, okay, so here's the thing, though, <laughs> that I heard about. Um, we were talking to some Canadian who's lived in Mexico forever at a bar, and he was saying that the way that the cartels work in Mexico is they won't like they send they basically send girls and young people up to the united states with tons of drugs on them and they say if you don't take these we're going to kill your mom your dad your brother your entire family if you don't take these drugs across the border and they're like but i could get killed and they're like so now if they're saying they're going to kill drug traffickers that means that people who are coming across the border 
are going to get they're killed. They're going to get here. shot because they're, but what if that's the thing is we don't know. What if that's a young person who's forced into doing it? It is. By someone a lot else? of the we young can't. kids, a lot of the young kids and um, women that are, you know, that have to do these, the jobs for the cartels are forced into it. It's they're not. Forced it's, into it. They're yeah. not like, gee, I've always, wow, my whole life, I've always wanted to run drugs across the border for, you know. Some of them. I, <laughs> maybe. But I mean. I, I, but the, the but, concept of this basically we're saying is, let's just shoot. Uh, it's yeah, we could get rid of the opioids if we just killed the drug dealers. Yeah, war on drugs, part three. Right. Didn't work the first time. It yeah. It's... I'm not worried about this, honestly, because he's got too much shit going on for him to even try to do any policy on this. And well, he's got to do some. He's there not, needs to have some policy on the opioid crisis. But the problem is that because even, he's a Republican, he won't give money to rehab centers. Like what we could yeah. do <laughs> is put money into the you know we into could, safe injection sites, into rehab centers, into mm-hmm. how about not prescribe opioids for things yes, that don't need to have opioids prescribed. How about penalize those companies and doctors who overprescribe yeah. for these opioids? Yeah. Oh my God. So our buddy, wow. we have a comedian buddy who recently had some surgery and I said to him, Hey, watch out for those opioids. And he said, I didn't take, he didn't take any of them. He just took ibuprofen. That's he was sick. like, I don't want to get hooked on it. I'm just not going to take it. My friend himself. who, uh, he <laughs> ended up having to get an MRI. He, he, something went wrong with his back. And the doctor asked him, did he want to any oxy? He's like, I don't want to get hooked on that. And the doctor's like, you know what? I trust you. Yeah. <laughs> so he gave him some other kind of, uh, like, uh, Tyler. I think it was Tylenol. Yeah, Tylenol yeah, three has yeah. a little bit of codeine in it. It's no big deal. Like, yeah. The thing is, you just need a me- you need what you don't you, what you need yes. less. What you need less of is the opioid, and what you need more of is the anti-inflammatory. So, if you could, if you could just smoke pot and Duh. then use a topical, use like a an anti- a THCA balm on yourself for you know internal and external reduction of inflammation. That's all you need. Pain is inflammation. That's what it is. And I can understand like if you're in the hospital and you had like some like really extreme surgery or what have you. Yeah. And you, you need like something like while you're in the hospital that is. Yeah. You go you go bing and you press the little button. Right. And they that way they you. can control they can yeah. control your There's intake nurses. or what have you. Right. Rather than like well here's a whole box of oxycontin for you to take home make sure, sure you use it pr- properly yeah come on because now. we know that we as <laughs> americans we are gluttonous and we over imbibe that's the thing is media isn't bad but it's bad when it's everywhere all the time all consuming you know marijuana okay i do smoke it all the time so that's not fair uh <laughs> but there's if just a moderation people and and now and then once you can't tell it i've watched enough intervention <laughs> to know there's new seasons i oh my god i know <laughs> oh there's this new one okay it's so good it's, it's the heroin the heroin triangle i know it's north <coughs> it's in we, georgia northwest or northeast of atlanta right there's a triangle and Marriottville. You know what? And I watch a kid. I don't know what went what, what wrong. And it's like, well, now they're on drugs and they don't give a fuck. <laughs> they don't give a fuck. The one, the one girl and her boyfriend and, and the, the guy was like, he was oh like, mom, 
you're always bitching at me, and that just makes yes. me want to do more drugs. Exactly. When you bitch at me, it just oh makes my God, me have that to That one made up. me so like, bad. And the, the mom is just taking it. She I'm just like, and he had the like, he had the girlfriend living there. Too. Girlfriend living there, and there. She's I just like, expected you to clean the house. She's like all I asked you to do to live here was clean the clean house. house. And they're like, you bitching at me makes me want to do more drugs. You're a fucking bitch. Yeah, it was. I wish I could call my mom a fucking bitch. It was a that yard. If you're gonna, you're getting high again in my house. What, mom, why don't you kick the motherfucker out? Oh, and I like the first couple uh, that had the kid, but the mom was watching the kid. But they went to rehab. I think it was the second episode when they went to rehab. Well, I watched yeah. those and I loved. It. Actually, this is this is funny. I mean, this is a personal story, but those were some dusty ass be... white folks, though. Damn. Uh, <laughs> so I had I. It was like being on an episode of Intervention, but. I mean, and maybe old dumb face will call in one time and tell us the story from his own perspective. But, uh, so I made a bad, de- I made a poor decision. I, uh, being Pam Benjamin, I feel like I have a lot of responsibility to a lot of people and I try to always maintain my responsibilities. And sometimes I make the wrong choices in respecting those responsibilities. I was dog slash house sitting, uh, a couple weekends ago. And a lovely, sweet dog. And I was staying there, and it was great. And I and I do it, and I love being there. Well, we had a, it was a Friday. We had a show here. It was Pamtastics. Jonathan and Steve. So Steve was staying here because he was going to stay with. He stayed with my cat while we were in Mexico, and he worked at Jonathan's job. Blah 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 blah. So they went to Bender's, and I was here. And then they came here, and they were pretty drunk. Well, Jonathan brought a bottle of whiskey, and I said, I don't want to drink because I'm trying to be a good example and we don't have alcohol here at Mutiny Radio. And so I, as the leader, do not want to have that bottle of alcohol. So he put it away. But he went off to skateboard hockey. Now, before he left, Steve Poggi said, oh, there's a bottle. So what I didn't know is that Steve had already had like three beers, two shots, and a bottle of Taka Vodka. Oh, shit. Well, Jonathan gives him the bottle of whiskey and then leaves. Oh. He thought that he was going to give it to Alyssa to put in a flask somewhere. Anyways, so Jonathan should have, the bottle was my bottle. I should have put it away somewhere else and had it later or used it another time. But it ends up in Steve Poggi's hands. Oh, shit. He says to me the next morning the last thing he remembers is talking to John Gallagher outside and then blackout we can listen we can listen to it it's actually hilarious if we listen to the set it's he's so drunk he has no memory of this whatsoever so when he performed he was super drunk he was so drunk right so then the show is over I can't get him out from in front of here. He's being so loud and he's just screaming and being insane and falling over. And Alyssa Westerland's like, I'll take care of him. I'm like, you're never going to get him back to Oakland. You're never going to, it's never going to work. I cannot let him go with you. And then Keith D is like, I got him. I've been in this state before. I'm fine. I got this. I know what this is about. And I'm like, uh, I can't uh, leave my friend with Keith D. He's going he's to get police are going to find him. He, this has happened before. He's woken up in the hospital with bills and being oh, maced. Yeah, yeah. And he's been mugged. Things happen to him when he gets this drunk. So I know he's this drunk and That's I'm your, not, and he's, he's my, I feel like this time he's my responsibility, right. but I'm also dog sitting and I'm at this house. Oh shit. And I'm like, Oh fuck. I'm oh, like, fuck. I've got to have the responsibility to the dog. So, but also this house is Airbnb downstairs. Oh shit. Okay, so I think, okay, I can't 
let him go to my house because he'll never make it on his own. I have to take him there and I don't even know if I can take him there. Okay. And Jonathan didn't either. Jonathan, he had just come back from street hockey and he, when he finally showed up, I'm like, thank God two of us can handle this. (laughs) Right. So even getting him away, we're like, okay, we're going to get to Jonathan's car. Cause that was like, okay, we're going to get Jonathan's car. And Alyssa and Keith, you're like, let's go to Bender's. And I'm like, I'd love to go to Bender's. I'd love to have a drink, but now I'm dealing with this drunk asshole and I've got to deal with the situation. So I'm like, when do I get to have fun? When do I get to have fun? I haven't had any fun. Everyone's having fun. Now I'm dealing with intervention boy who keeps falling down on the ground, running into things. He almost got in a fight with a homeless person. He like kicked a homeless guy on the ground. I know. Oh my. He's like, what do you want to talk about this? This is all on the street. So finally. This we is get him, right. So then we get him in the car. I have to put his seatbelt on. He keeps trying to take his seatbelt off. He keeps throwing things at Jonathan who's driving. I'm like, okay, I have to make a decision. I'm like, do we go back to my house and do I just say, fuck the dog? Or do I try to, do I take him back to the house? And I was like, okay, he's going to pass out. I'm going to take him back to the house because I can watch him because I didn't feel, I felt like if I, even if I would have taken it back to my house, I'd have to stay there. So I wouldn't get to go deal with the dog. dog. I just would have been like, okay, fuck the dog. And that's what I should have done. I should have said, fuck the dog. The dog is going to be fine. I'll just be there at nine in the morning. Everything's going to be okay. I should have gone home. But instead, oh fuck, no. we get in the car. We buckle Steve in. He takes his seatbelt off. We have to pull over again. I have to rebuckle him into the seatbelt. Okay. He's screaming, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Okay. We get to the house. He's on the street. He starts running up the street. I'm like, Steve, God damn it. Get your ass in here. So I bring him inside and then he, he's so loud. He ended up, he, so anyways, the, the downstairs Airbnb, like he peed all over some stuff, but I cleaned it all up. What? 